Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Autism Stories. I'm your host Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic people to learn from their stories, experiences, and get their advice. If you'd like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about autism stories. Ableism can pretty much be found wherever you look in life. It's pretty easy to find that and focus on on those examples, but what can be even more helpful is our finding examples of things that are uplifting to autistic and disabled folks, showing their autonomy and leadership. That's why I'm excited to talk with Olivia McAdams, who will share about one of these examples regarding disability and autonomy within anime. We also discuss with Olivia about learning to speak Japanese and admittance into a master's program for disability and human development. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Olivia, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. I wanted to start off and learn where does your story in the autistic community begin? My story with the autistic community began since infancy, but I was officially diagnosed at age seven or nine. I was a rather troubled child, and I remember always feeling that I wasn't able to finish anything, and everything that I did had to be perfect as well, and I also had a very difficult time moving on certain topics, especially in elementary school. And so I also enjoyed organizing things like VHSs and books as well. I was officially diagnosed at a young age. And then when I was about eight years old, I was brought into a self-contained classroom in the Madison Onarabosi's autism program. Now, that period is very difficult to talk about because I was separated from my peers of my age, and the majority of my school Uh, involved other autistic children. And I would say we varied around the ages of 5 to 12. So I was rather isolated when I was about 8 to 10. But then I moved back into mainstream education. And I actually started advocating starting at age 12. So when I advocated, I was mostly speaking to graduate students at the 
Syracuse University to explain to them of what being a student with a disability in junior high school and high school is like because many many teachers and student teachers do not have the skills or the or the exposure they need to teach children with disabilities or autistic children unless you are a special education teacher but that itself is also a huge issue now something that you did recently that I found very interesting is you wrote a wonderful article about disability and agency in regards to anime. What, what is it about anime that initially kind of captivated your attention? Since the age of about nine has been my pervasive interest. And so when I was about 11 years old, I remember watching Toonami and seeing a amazing movie that looked Japanese. I didn't officially remember the name of the movie or remember the name of the characters, but I knew that the director's name was Miyazaki. And later that, over the next couple of weeks, I watched more of his movies and I was completely hooked or captivated by that. And then, because I was interested in anime, I started reading manga, which are Japanese comics. Now I think I have about maybe 300 volumes of print manga in my room. Since the age of 11, I've been extremely obsessed and interested in manga, anime, and anything Japanese. One of my friends actually recommended me an anime called Code Geass before I thought it was called Code Geasses, but that wasn't the right pronunciation. And I was told when we first met, actually, that one of the characters was very similar to another character that a voice actor played in an anime called Codias. And so I was interested, but I didn't actually watch the anime until recently. And I was extremely fascinated because in many anime and manga, there are characters with disabilities. But for the majority, either they're used as a reason for the main character to protect the evils of the world from. And usually, as the story progresses, they fade into the background. However, that wasn't the case for this anime. I was very interested when I found out that Natalie, who is the character, of the article that I wrote that was focused on actually had her agency increased in the second season of the series and that occurred when her main protector, her older brother, 
disappeared. And so the opposite of what people would think would happen to a character with a disability happened. I found that extremely fascinating because it's rather rare in not only in manga and anime, but in media in particular for characters with disabilities to have their own story and to grow as well. And so when I finished watching the anime, I was very impressed. I attempted to find other manga and anime that had the same captivation, but I've only found a few. Now, you mentioned this character, Nunnally, who is in uh, Code Gase, and you know you were talking about Nunnally's disability and agency. I'm wondering, what are some ways Nunnally gains independence and just the ability to make uh, her own choices develops a sense of autonomy as the story uh, develops? That is a very good question. To start off with, I think it's important to remember of who she was before season two. In season one, she was primarily viewed as the main character's younger sister who was protected and had to be taken care of by her older brother who was very overprotective of her. Not exactly related to her disability, but because of the trauma they experienced. People believed, I believe, when the anime aired, that Nunnally would be helpless if her brother ever got taken or if the rebellion that took place during that time would end because he would be executed. However, in the anime, it was revealed that she gained more power politically and she also told Zero, who she didn't know was her brother in disguise, that she had her own plans and her own goals that she wanted to accomplish and that she was not interested in joining Zero. That, of course, was very interesting because typically toward the second core of a series or a manga, any character with disability is usually it's usually withdrawn to the background and is mostly used as a reason for the character to keep on going and that they need to be protected. However, Nunnally completely evacuated that entire trope. And it's kind of interesting because there is a trope where usually a female character is kidnapped by an enemy and the main character has to save them from the kidnapper and then fight the right. supposed bad guy. But Nunnally was actually not the princess in the castle, even though she is officially a princess <laughs> and lives in a castle. Uh, she grew very independent during the time that her brother was gone. And I believe that was because with her brother gone, she didn't have her protector around. 
And so not only had to figure out how to manage the world alone and how to defend herself and how to think of what she wanted in the world. It was actually at the end of the anime that she literally told a couple of characters to stop infantilizing her because she knew what she was doing. That was because the main characters believed that not only was being manipulated by several older and more powerful characters, but she told them multiple times that her decisions were her decisions and that she knew what she was doing. And I know that this is particularly very unusual for characters with disability. But she made the decision that had catastrophic consequences. And she was prepared for that, which is very unusual in the case that usually any character is typically unable to confront the reality that they face. But not only, I believe, because of having to find herself and find agency in a world that basically fought to imprison her and to take her agency away, had to become strong and had to be able to facilitate her emotions enough to realize what she wanted. You were talking about how this is an unusual character. So I was wondering, what what do you hope other anime creators now or in the or in the future take away from Code Geass and Nunnally when they're thinking about including disabled characters in their stories? Hmm. That is a good question. There have been several manga that have had characters with disabilities. For example. There's another series called The Shape of Your Voice, which has a character who is deaf. And she is a main character, and she has her own thoughts as well. Now, unfortunately, I had hoped that in the future that because of this character and her plotline, that there would be more characters with disabilities who had their own agencies and agendas, their own story, to say the least. However, unfortunately, there has not been too many instances of characters with Nunnally's root, unfortunately. There have been several instances where characters with disabilities gain a voice. But because disability is not often talked about in Japan anyway, that trope itself is rather unusual. Um, in preparing to talk to you today, I read that you uh, have learned, uh, or you're learning Japanese. Is that due yes. to your love of anime and manga? Yes, it is due to my love of anime and manga. And I've studied Japanese for half my life now. I'm still continuing to do that. I was very 
I was really impressed that I could actually read a light novel without um, having to stop too many times, which, of course, it was only about 60 pages, but it was impressive that I could actually do that, which I wouldn't have been able to do before. And I, I would have to say it's because of my... It's because of the fact that I'm autistic that I was able to focus so much of my effort on learning Japanese and of watching so much anime and reading so much manga as well. And so I am, of course, still watching anime. And I still have my eye out for several media with characters with disabilities. So far, I've seen a couple more that I plan on reading and seeing what happens. How did you go about uh, learning Japanese? I know a lot of autistic folks that love anime and as a result have an interest in learning Japanese. So how did you go about uh, learning the language? Well, I remember being 11 years old and watching a YouTube video of my favorite anime series at the time, which was Naruto. And I was very impressed by the fact that now on YouTube, you could actually watch two videos at separate times. That was back in 2006. And so I was very familiar with the English dub. But I had heard online that the Japanese version of Naruto is very interesting and that the main character's voice is very different, almost girlish-like. And so I was interested and thought, I might as well see what people are talking about. And of course, I could see the difference. The characters definitely had different pronunciation, and I would say the majority of the characters' voices were deeper. And then, when I watched the scene from that episode, I watched the subtitles and I understood one word, which was why. And I repeated it to myself, and I thought, oh my god, I can start learning this language. Maybe someday I'll be able to understand. So starting then, I started to learn Japanese primarily through vocabulary. And my parents actually gave me a pocketbook Japanese dictionary for Christmas. So I studied that for quite some time. I built up my vocabulary and I continued watching Naruto in Japanese with English subtitles. But I would say it was starting when I was 14 that I started focusing on grammar. I've been studying grammar since. I have also taken the JLPT, the Japanese Proficiency Language Exam, the N3. I barely missed passing by about three or five points, I think. And because of my interest in Japan and Japanese, I was able to live in Japan for six months as a graduate student 
it's in my current university without as much difficulty as I thought because I thought that when I got to Japan, I would have to learn so much, but I was actually able to communicate with the neighborhood office very effectively and able to actually understand what was being written and what was being said. My dad was very concerned about me not making it in Japan or having a lot of difficulty. But I think after a couple of days after he saw how I was able to communicate and understand, I think he was, he was more relieved. I've continued studying Japanese, of course, and I have a collection of Japanese novels that I have read to an extent. The issue is that Japanese books in Japan are actually very small. The print is also very small. So it's almost like I have to look under a magnifying glass to oh, understand wow. what I'm reading. Yeah. Yeah. It's very different from, I would say, the majority of books that you find in English because I think that most of them are about 6.5 to 8 or something. But in Japan, they're actually much smaller. Now, before we go, I wanted to yes. con congratulate you. As I saw recently, you were admitted into Illinois Chicago's master's program for disability and human development. What's your goal for getting your master's in this field of study? Well, I would have to say that as of right now, my, my goal for getting my master's is completing a master's degree that I was unable to do in Japan because of COVID-19. And I would say that um, by completing a master's program, I would be able to create connections with the disability community in Chicago. And although I, I still have contacts in Japan and in Boston, it's, it's still very important that I establish even more contacts. And I also want to start perhaps an academic career in the disability studies area, but with a focus more on East Asia and with a disability focus because there have been very many studies in Europe and in the United States of people with disabilities and the quality of life, disability culture. But there is not as much focus of even to disability studies in East Asia. I think that is because of East Asia's difficulties with the disability progress. But I believe that because East Asia is a major economic, cultural, and educational hub, that it is important to include everyone in the study of disability studies, not just in France, Britain, the United States, Germany. And I was very interested in learning about how anime and manga have contributed to the perception 
of disability in Japanese society. And that's actually what my thesis is going to be about. Well, I will look forward to that thesis as I would love to, to read that. You know, Olivia, I really appreciate you, your time today. It was a wonderful conversation. Thanks so much for talking with me today. You're welcome. It was very nice to meet with you, and I'm glad I was able to talk with you, too. Thanks so much to Olivia for the conversation. To learn more about Olivia's article that was referenced in this episode, please check out the link in the podcast description for this episode. I loved hearing the benefits and skills Olivia talked about that she's gained by continuing to pursue her special interest of anime. If you have a interest in learning how Autism Personal Coach can, can help you to pursue your special interests, then please book a free call with me today. A link for the free call can be found in the podcast description of this episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Autism Stories, and if you did, if you could tell a friend, foe, or anyone you know about it so they could have the same enjoyable experience as you when listening to Autism Stories, it would be very much appreciated. Until next time, I'm Doug Bletcher of Autism Personal Coach. Talk to you then.